it was like being hit over the head with a two by four, you know, at first. It was, I, I really didn't really understand what I was swimming in at that point. And of course, initially, the thought was, you know, can we have this baby? Once we were at a point where, okay, yes, this is, we're going to go through this and continue with the pregnancy, the constant worry kind of in the back of your mind is, is this child going to be okay? And of course, that's all overlaid onto my, my worry and concern over Liz's health and, and you know, was she going to be okay? What is she going to have to go through? Um, and both physically, but also emotionally and psychologically to be, uh, a, to be pregnant and to be having, you know, fostering this life in you. And while you're also um, taking chemotherapy drugs, knowing that that could harm the, the fetus, um, that's a very stark, difficult um, situation to be in and difficult, um, I think, for her particularly to come to terms with. When cancer enters your life, things get real very quickly. Today I'm speaking with Brian Wogenson, high school English teacher and department chair at a private school for girls in Los Angeles. In 2005, his wife, Liz Gannam, was diagnosed with breast cancer five weeks after learning that she was pregnant. Seven years after the completion of treatment and the healthy birth of their son, Liz was diagnosed with and treated for a new breast cancer. I'm Diane McDaniel, and this is Real Cancer. Thanks, Brian, for coming in to talk with me today. I'm very happy to be here. Before we talk about cancer, I'd like you to tell us a bit about yourself and your family. Sure. I have lived in Los Angeles for about 20 years, originally from Minnesota. And I'm a teacher. I teach at the Archer School for Girls. I teach English, and I'm the department chair there. And I've been there about 18 years. My wife and I... Liz Gannam. We were married uh, 13 years ago next month, and we have an 11-year-old boy, Finn. All right. So you mentioned Liz. Now let's talk about her briefly. What was her experience with cancer? 12 years ago, she found out that she was pregnant, um, which was wonderful. (laughs) And about five weeks after that, we found out that she had breast cancer, um, which, of course, was shocking. And I think one of the things that initially went through our minds was, how can this be? You know, How can we be both pregnant and um, be faced with this, um, this illness? And could we even have a child through that you know there were a lot of unknowns a lot of questions about that yeah so (laughs) i know there's more to the story that was her first bout with cancer but there was more to come right well indeed just to, to go back to the first cancer though we were lucky to have kind of an incredible group of doctors that really kind of walked us through the reality and the possibility of both treating cancer, breast cancer, and going through a pregnancy at the same time. It's definitely counterintuitive. We had to wait until after the first trimester and then listed chemo while she was pregnant. They were able to really kind of expose us to the fact that this is not, this was not a complete anomaly. Other people have you know, gone through this before, which is one of the really important things for us at that time was to realize, okay, this has happened before. There's some precedent. You know, my father's a pathologist. So one of the ways that I initially responded to this was 
to just go into the research, you know. Right. And it was actually almost problematic with me for a while because I got too deep into it. Yeah. But one of the things that came out of that was recognizing, okay, there's, there have been studies, there are families that have gone through this, and they know which specific chemotherapies were viable mm-hmm. um, to use during a pregnancy. And so we went through that. And of course, there's many different kind of pieces to that whole journey. And then, you know, we came out of it. And seven years later, you know, we really had thought we'd kicked it. Right. <laughs> and, you know, we'd gotten past five years. And, and uh, but seven years later, she was um, diagnosed with a uh, recurrence. All right. So let's go back to that first cancer 12 years ago when Lynn was diagnosed with cancer right after you learned that you were expecting a baby. Talk about how you felt when you received that news. You mentioned a little bit about uh, can this be? And what did you worry most about? And what was most difficult? Well, you know, when you find out you're going to have a child, I mean, it's such a kind of amazing moment. And it's full of possibility. It, it was, we were kind of um, in a, it was like being hit over the head with a two by four, you know, mm-hmm. at first. It was, I, I really didn't really understand what I was swimming in at that point. And of course, initially, the thought was, you know, can we have this baby? Mm-hmm. Once we, we're at a point where, okay, yes, this is, we're going to go through this and continue with the pregnancy. The constant worry kind of in the back of your mind is, is this child going to be okay? Mm -hmm. And of course that's all overlaid onto my, my worry and concern over Liz's health and, and you know, was she going to be okay? What is she going to have to go through? Um, and both physically, but also emotionally and psychologically to be, uh, a, to be pregnant and to be having, you know, fostering this life in you. And while you're also, um, taking chemotherapy drugs, knowing that that could harm the, the fetus um, that's a very stark, difficult um, situation to be in and difficult, um, I think, for her particularly to come to terms with. Um, did you talk to anybody who had been through that experience at that time? Did, did your doctors or anybody put you in touch with anybody? There was one woman that we did talk to briefly. Our doctor had had this experience before, mm-hmm. our oncologist um, years before and so that was some sucker some some aid there in being able to to communicate with someone who'd gone through it but for the most part we felt pretty pretty much on a on an island there with this experience you know we'd go in for liz's chemo treatments and there would be a room with you know eight or ten chairs people you know doing their chemo and they had Liz in this separate room, mm-hmm. um, Liz and I in this separate room getting her treatment, in part, I think, for her to feel um, comfortable, Yeah. but I think also for everyone else, too. I mean, it's a very strange contrast to yeah. have a pregnant woman who is, you know, has no hair, for instance, or who's in a, you know, getting chemotherapy treatments. Certainly, it was not a normal, I mean, no, no uh, I think treatment for cancer is normal, right. but um, it's all different. Um, but this was just particularly kind of strange and intense that way. Well, there's a added social aspect to it that I imagine must have been challenging. Did, did you oh, feel sure. like social censure, social disapproval at points? A little bit. I mean, I, certainly Liz did. She felt the eyes on her all the time whenever we were out. 
so I was, you know, once removed from that a little bit, I'm, I'm not the direct kind of object of people's attention that way. There's kind of even smaller things, like even after, well, like during the pregnancy, people talking about how, you know, you're not supposed to have a glass of wine when you're pregnant, you're not supposed to drink coffee for the caffeine could be bad or certain kinds of foods. And of course, we're putting poisons into Liz's body. So there's like a disconnect there between kind of kind of social norms and what we were um, required and really needed to be doing at that time. Putting Liz a little bit to the side for a moment, how did how did that affect you? Well, I mean, I think one of the things that I struggled with that with that first um, experience was being able to try to find a balance between being devoted to Liz and her process and her experience, uh, trying to find a balance between that and my work life. Mm -hmm. And we tried really hard to try to find some semblance of normalcy. Mm -hmm. I think it's one of the dangers, I think, is becoming so wrapped up in the cancer and in the treatment and in all of the information which you could spend forever exploring, you know, and, and forgetting that you're, you're living, you're living life. Early on, I wasn't living life as, as well as I needed to be. Mm -hmm. Um, I was really just continually cycling, cycling through what do we need to do next? What's, what's going to be best? How can I help Liz? Liz was actually kind of crucial in helping me find that balance. Mm-hmm. What were some of the things that she did to help you kind well, of get back to thinking a little more broadly? Well, one was Liz was kind of incredible in the way that she focused on the pregnancy mm. on the positive aspects of, of the pregnancy and the possibility of, of our child and planning for it and thinking about it and talking about it. So that was one thing. She also would call up my friends and say, you need to take Brian out. Mm-hmm. He might not do this on his own, so you need to kind of force him to do that. Mm-hmm. So she would kind of orchestrate um, times when I would, I would kind of be forced to separate. Right. Even when... You know, times when I felt like I really needed to be there. She had had chemo within the week. And she would make sure she had a couple friends that were coming over. Mm-hmm. Or, or even staying overnight. And um, would really urge me to, to go and get away. Right. And that was really important to find um, those times. And even, you know, it was important because I would talk about what I was what I was going through, what we were going through with my friends in those instances. But I would also just not <laughs> talk about it. I would do other things with them and kind of separate from... Right, take a break. Yeah, and that was really important. My inclination was to just completely give myself over to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, was a, it was a battle, I think, internally to try to find that balance. Right. I read everything I could. I tried to know the inside and out, you know, what are these medications and what are the different effects of them and what are different ways to handle the um, repercussions of the different chemo treatments. You know, some of that was really important. And I think there is, to a degree, that can be helpful and it can be something that allows you to kind of put it in perspective. Right. Um, but I found myself doing that too much yeah. and getting kind of lost in it, especially when I would start to talk to Liz about it. And I realized, oh, she doesn't want to hear all this. That's right. You know, it's like the last thing she wanted to really hear. I think she was happy that I was mm. becoming aware and learning. 
right. about things. That was one of the ways you were supporting her. Right. And, you know, like when we'd go, I mean, as you know, you go to so many doctor visits. And one of the things that um, was important is that, you know, we would leave and Liz would say, okay, what did I miss in all of that? Because, <laughs> you know, there are times when um, she was, wasn't able to kind of follow um, everything that was being discussed. Right. We heard about how Liz was uh, helping you to take a little break and to do other things, talk to other people, not think about cancer. And you talked a little bit about how you supported Liz through the research that you were doing. What other ways did you support her during her illness and pregnancy? What did, what did she really need from you? Well, in a broad sense, I think I supported her by helping to motivate her at times. For the cancer treatments? For the treatments and motivating her just, uh, you know, almost kind of emotional motivation. Mm-hmm. You know, Liz is, you know, one, one of the remarkable things about the experience of going through this and going through it twice is that the the qualities that I fell in love with um, in Liz were kind of in kind of incredible relief during the experience. Mm-hmm. So her tenacity and her humor. So one of the things I tried to do was was kind of help bolster those things um, when I felt like she was flagging. There's the helping her through the repercussions of of the treatments, you know, I would just try to find things that she could eat, that she could, what are things that I can do to help her physically mm-hmm. get through it? Helping her manage the medicine, the medicine that was helping her manage the chemo. One of the things that certainly would happen is I would make a smoothie and spend half an hour on it and do research on the ingredients and then excitedly kind of hand it to her and say, try this, you know, with a straw. Sometimes she would just look at it (laughs) and be like, nope, (laughs) get it out of here right now. That must have not been an ice cream smoothie because I know that's what she wanted to eat. I know, I know. (laughs) I did have some successes, though. I made made some homemade um, ginger ale. Mm. Oh, yeah, that would probably be really good. It was great, and it really helped with some of the nausea. Right. Um, so that was a success. Um, <laughs> but, and, you know, that was part of it, too, is recognizing, understand that I'm going to try things or do things to help her, and not all of those things are going to work. I just needed to recognize, okay, I don't need to feel bad about this or um, feel guilty. Um, I mean, guilt was certainly played uh, a role in my experience through it. Mm. How's that? Well, I have a older sister who has schizophrenia. Mm. I spent a lot of time thinking about um, that in itself and the, the struggle that she has with that, but also thinking about survivor syndrome, this notion that, mm-hmm. you know, even as when I was younger, thinking, okay, she's going through all this painful all these painful things in her life and I'm not like mm-hmm. I somehow didn't right get that and um and you know guilt comes with that and some sense of like wait you know um what should I you know what did I do not to get that and so there's some of that you know I think as a spouse to someone who's going through cancer is you're thinking you know, you know, I can't experience this with you the way that you're experiencing, and it's impossible. Right. So I am de facto an adjunct in that way, an adjunct to the to kind of the most intense parts of this mm-hmm. this, this this thing that she's going through. And so there was some guilt about like I'm healthy and I can go for a run, and um, I. I consider myself a fairly empathetic person mm-hmm. and um, so 
when when someone is suffering as much as someone does, um, going through, um, particularly going through chemo and um, and going through kind of an understanding that you're um, suffering from something that is life threatening. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, I think it can be difficult to fully empathize because you can't right really did did you learn anything from the experience of being the brother of someone who's ill that helped you during your time with Liz I mean I think my immediate answer would have to be yes like that my um, sensitivity to my sister's situation and her needs some of the same muscles that you use or that I used there, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of were at play um, with Liz. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You talked a little bit about Liz telling you to get out of the house, <laughs> go do something with some friends, it helped you. Was there anything else that you that you did, activity or, or, you know, like a support group or anything else that helped you to cope and get through this difficult time? And were there some ways in which you actively tried to take care of yourself? I was lucky and am lucky that my workplace, the school I teach at, Archer, is, you know, my colleagues and friends there and the the institution as a whole is a is a very kind of loving caring community and liz had taught there um, when she was first diagnosed she had moved on and she was teaching at another school but she knew everyone there and, and so that community was was incredibly supportive and crucial for me mm-hmm. um, you know i would go to work and um You know, everyone was um, both supportive in kind of recognizing when to not even bring it up, but also being there when I needed it. They put together a whole meal plan, as people do, but it was kind of amazing how um, everyone just, you know, committed to that and just never trailed off, you know, into when Finn was born and there were still people bringing us food regularly and um, really committed to us in that way. So that was certainly something um, I didn't go to any other kind of groups or anything. I felt like my closest circle of friends were um, kind of fundamental for me then. Um, And my family as well was was really and and Liz's family um, mm-hmm. you know when Finn was born he was preemie so I and mean, we kind of knew that was going to happen or that that was a potential that, as a result of the the treatment as a result of the treatment and more as a result of the effects of the treatment you know Liz lost a lot of weight mm-hmm. and you know during pregnancy that has um, implications obviously so he was five weeks early, mm-hmm. um, but was um, and his C-section as well, which you know is just another thing to add on to. Wow, you know what Liz had to kind of go through there is is the initial removal of the lump, the chemotherapy, the C-section, then doing a um, lymph node like a sentinel lymph node removal just mm-hmm. as a diagnostic and then doing radiation, you know? So after she had Finn, it was only like five weeks later, she started radiation through all that. Our families were really amazing. Liz's mom came out when Finn was born. Well, after he got out of NICU, he was in NICU for uh, 17 days. Mm-hmm. I think he was super healthy. He just needed to eat. He was just, he was four pounds, six ounces. So he just needed to like chow. which to be honest was an amazing experience for a new like for newbies when it comes to like your first child because we were um 
every day we'd go to the NICU and these nurses there, these kind of Uber nurses would train us. Mm. And we took him home when he was five pounds, which is such a small right. human being, but we felt so prepared. Um, we had actually signed up for a new parent class, mm-hmm. like how to swaddle your baby and feeding and et cetera, months before, and then he came early. Right. And Liz was like, we're going to this class, we paid for it, and we're not gonna just <laughs> not go. And we went, and it, it was you know a retired nurse, I think, who would, mm-hmm. was doing it, and there were like eight other couples, and we're sitting in a circle, and we have a little plastic baby in front of us. Of course, Liz was the only one in there who wasn't pregnant, because mm-hmm. we'd already had Finn. You right. know, he was in the NICU at this point. So people were looking at us like, like what's going you on? You just do strange things over and over, <laughs> right? <laughs> and yeah, right. We realized that like we knew everything, and, and we ended up like, you know, teaching them some things about what we had learned in NICU at this uh, at this uh, meeting. That that must have been actually a wonderful moment, where in the midst of all of this kind of uncertainty and, and craziness, suddenly you're the people who are like, oh yeah, we know. What to do. Yeah, yeah, we were totally. You know, knowledgeable in charge. Yeah, you could be competent. Yeah. (laughs) As we mentioned earlier, Liz had a second breast cancer four years ago, I think. Tell me about that time and how you felt when you learned the news. Yeah, that sucked. <laughs> we were, as I said earlier, we we really thought we'd kicked it. We were, um, you know, um, it, I feel like, well, let me back up. Before Liz was diagnosed with her first breast cancer, I had maintained I think a pretty healthy and exuberant kind of inner child like I never felt as old as I was I always kind of held on to childhood in a way that led me in really wonderful places in my life in my adult life and coming out of that first cancer there was a definite kind of shift for me when you're in it, I don't think you realize how much a phase shift it is. Because mm-hmm. you're just, you know, it's day-to-day at times. It's so focused on caring and maintaining, you know, what we needed to do um, medically. And it's, I mean, you're so in it, right? Mm-hmm. And, of course, there are things swirling around as you think about the future and what are, you know, you know, things that you worry about, et cetera. But as we came out of that experience, you know, so let's say a couple years and Finn's healthy and he's a terrible two year old and he was actually a terrible three year old. Um, not so terrible. They all are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he's healthy and vibrant. And, you know, it was around that time that I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm out of that now. Mm. Like I, I'm no longer full. I'm obviously Liz is still going for MRIs every six months and going and, you know, and she's taking tamoxifen and there are, there are things related. Right. But we, I think both, I mean, I can't really speak for Liz on this, but I feel like we were both kind of shifting out of that into a, a kind of normalcy. So when she got diagnosed with the, you know, seven years later, that hit hard. I mean, it was hard because, um, you know, when you think you've, you've kind of battled and won, um, to, to be back at square one, Mm. um, and to know too, that, you know, going into the first experience, we didn't know anything. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, we didn't know what the effects of chemotherapy was going to be. Right. We didn't know, you know, you're going through it. You, 
you know, you have the first treatment. Okay, you know what that three weeks was like. That was horrible. But I don't know what the next one's going to be like or the next one or how it's going to be different. But, you know, the second experience, you know very well what this is going to be like. Right. Um, and that's re- that was really debilitating at the beginning, I think, for both of us is to recognize, you know, we, this, I know exactly what we're going to be doing here um, for the next couple of years. And, and, of course, it's compounded because you've got a seven-year-old. Mm-hmm. And so we really had to think about, okay, what does that mean? And Liz was teaching at the school where Finn was going to school. Mm-hmm. So we really had to think about how we were going to approach that as well. So that really was an, uh, another and, aspect. And what was the concern there? I think when you have a child and, and you know, a parent is, um, is ill and and particularly cancer and with chemo treatments, there's a lot of physical manifestation of the illness. We really had to think about, okay, how do we approach this with Finn? I mean, he's seven. It's not like he's a two-year-old who's going to vaguely remember some of this. It was much more important for us to really contemplate but the impact in our, in our approach to it. And we really, I think, i got to say... Liz was just amazing in the way that she um, both talked to Finn, um, but also limited the drama and kept everything that was happening to her at a place where I think Finn, it's not like Finn didn't recognize that she was going through this and was challenged with this, but that it was something that she was handling, that Mm -hmm. she was able to. And of course, you don't always handle it. Sure. (laughs) But she, with Finn, really, I think, was able to show him that and show him her strength and to talk about it in terms that were not heightened. You know, mm-hmm. when people hear the word cancer, they bring so much to it. Right. And, you know, she was like, this is what this is. This is how we're going to treat it. This is how it's going to be dealt with. And we're going to move on from it. Mm-hmm. You know, it helped that his teachers were... Um, friends of hers, and they were very uh, attentive to ke- just keeping us aware of how he was doing in the classroom. And, and mm, right. um, so he had some some more eyes on the situation. Just yeah, you know, like one, you know, there's a day where uh, one of his teachers said, "Well, she overheard Finn saying, yeah, my mom has cancer, and this is what that is, and this is what's happening. I mean, she's going to lose her hair.'" And, you know, kind of just banter, mm-hmm. you know, with another seven-year-old in the, in the second grade classroom. Wow. Does he know about the, the cancer during pregnancy? No. <laughs> yeah, that's not something that, huh, yeah. Listen, I haven't talked about that in a while. <laughs> That's something we rec- we recur, right, kind of. It's a recurring thing that we come back to, um, and I think that's you know at least from my perspective, that's you know I don't want Finn to um, be concerned at all about his own health. Mm-hmm. You know, is that um, is that your your worry? That's my worry mm-hmm. about his health. Know that he oh. would that that would be worrying that that he would worry about that, that. is my worry mm-hmm. yeah that he would somehow um, well yeah I think he would do that um, because I think he'd immediately probably pick up that that was our worry <laughs> you mm-hmm. know um, he's pretty sensitive to us and what we're thinking um, but it's a good question the question is you know when does that conversation take place and when do we talk about that. Um, yeah 
<laughs> yeah. How do you deal with that worry? That's a tough one. Um, I think um, it like it's <laughs> he's such a kind of remarkable, bright, lively kid mm-hmm. and um, you know, every doctor visit is, you know, a normal doctor visit and, you know, in terms of how his health is and everything. So I try to just focus on that. Right. And let's, let's not, um, you know, try to, uh, you know, I can't control and I tell my students, like, what's what's in your control, what's not in your control, mm-hmm. and let's focus on, on the former. Um, there's some things that are, obviously aren't in my control there. Um, so I bury it too, <laughs> yeah. and it's one of the things that was, or is, it was and is, something that Liz and I have had to come to terms with in terms of. You know our relationship, even in relation to the cancer and and these experiences, is I think both of us push down some of the things that concern us or worry us. I do that quite a bit. I mean, I've got some Danish blood. I'm from Minnesota. You kind of just get down and <laughs> you chop wood and you right. know carry the water and you get going that kind of stoicism and, you know and Liz of course was like this she was so it, both times she's so just tough she's just a, she's tough yeah like tougher than anyone I know certainly a lot tougher than me she's done quite a bit of writing as you know about her experiences and it's interesting there's a kind of what has come into and kind of woven itself into her own story about having cancer is the story of her grandfather who was a naval captain in World War II fighter pilot he was an admiral and he was like you know he was shot down in the Pacific and he survived for eight days in a raft and he was a tough cookie too and I think she recognizes some of that um, so, Bakudis so, blood. So her story is the, about being a tough cookie. Yeah, you know, I think it's part of it. But, and I think both of us, both her toughness and my kind of like stoicism only go so far. Mm. And I think we, at different times, have broken down. And, you know, during the experience, there were moments where Liz kind of just lost it. Yeah. You know, that, that toughness, that kind of control that she was maintaining broke. And as tough as that was for me to see and feel like, okay, how do I, mm-hmm. how do I kind of respond to this? I think those are really important moments. Yeah. You don't want to be so tough that you become brittle. Yeah, and you've got to let that out. And I'm still learning how to do that, I think. Um, And I've also realized that that doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, again, four years out of the last experience, and there are still things that you're, you're keeping down about the experience. Sure. That... I think it's important to air, especially with each other, especially with a couple, to be able to um, fully share what you're feeling and what you're experiencing. If you don't do that, it becomes a kind of hidden thing. And um, I think that can, that can be um, harmful. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about how the experience of going through all of this together has <laughs> affected your relationship 
I definitely know that there are um, couples that have gone through something like this and it really tears it up. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we found each other, it's just, I think for both of us, it was just so obvious, so kind of right. Our relationship is really built on such kind of mutual um, care and recognition of kind of the pieces fitting. I mean, I think that the experience, from my perspective, we've, um, uh, it just kind of deepened um, our connection. Not to say that there haven't been times that have been tough. Yeah. Where you struggle and say, okay, I'm leaving. I'm walking out of this door and going for a walk. I don't mean leaving, leaving. <laughs> but you know where you're I'm like, just a walk around the block. I can't be in the same space with you right now. Sure. And Don't you feel that way about yourself sometimes? Oh my God, are you kidding me? <laughs> I think that's why I read so much. <laughs> Go into a different room. <laughs> I just, I, that's like another, I can get away from myself when I'm reading about other people. Right. Um, but yeah, so I, it, it, it was especially bringing Finn into the world and together raising him and having that beautiful kind of addition. It expanded things. Do you know the book Flatland? Mm, I, I haven't read it. It's like a, it's like a story of geometry. Right. Um, I think I have it somewhere. But there's like lines and then there's there's the line and then there's a whole other dimension, mm-hmm. right? And the biggest dimension, of course, is like three-dimensional. Finn kind of expanded us into this triangle that was, um, there's just such a nice completion to it. And that, I think, you know, amongst other things is what has deepened our our love for each other and our relationship. That's really lovely. So today you've told me the the story of this experience and this time in your life. What meaning does the story have for you? (laughs) Well, I think one of the things that I was talking about earlier about that kind of, that sense of loss that I had just personally about my own innocence, part of this, this story for me is Understanding that while that is true, that these experiences have changed and altered my perspective in a way that I can, I'm never going to go back to, mm-hmm. that it's okay. I mean, it's true, but there's, you know, more and more I rec- I'm recognizing that I can define that. I'm not going to have that kind of innocence again. None of us are. I mean, we can't go back in time. But I can foster those things about myself and my identity that that I appreciate about that time and, and continue that. It's one of the reasons I continue to teach because it keeps me in that place. You can't spend you know, day in, day out with 16, 17-year-old girls and not be kind of brought to this kind of wonderful place of um, liveliness and energy and youthfulness. Mm. You know, so part of the story is is both coming to terms with experience <laughs> and part of the story for me is um, when Liz first got diagnosed 12 years ago, I had a, a really dear friend of mine who lives in the East Coast, and he's a poet and a professor. And he sent me a note, and we have long correspondence, like writing letters to each other. You know, I had told him about the cancer, about the pregnancy, and he wrote back, and, and he, this wasn't the only thing he said, but near the end of it, he said, it's going to be an incredible experience. Hmm. That was kind of the last thing he said. And I was so pissed. Mm-hmm. I was so miffed and angry. and You didn't know what it meant. No, I didn't know what he's talking about there. And 
it was just so kind of it just seemed so um like glib glib and and easy mm-hmm. for you know and so i had a really hard time coming to terms with that with this person who i really cared about saying something like that but that is part of the story yep it was an incredible experience there were really kind of horrible elements to it but it's the life we have had and it's a life that was vibrant within mm-hmm. those things you know that's one of the things that i would say to people who are within it or in that phase is you know listen i didn't stop doing things that we love to do mm-hmm. within the realm of possibility right. right there's certainly we couldn't go on five mile hikes but you know, we found things that we love to do and continue to do them throughout the experience. I think you can forget to live, you know, or to live in the way you, that you can. I think you, you can get wrapped up in everything that, to a degree where you, um, you feel like, oh, I can't be enjoying myself right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Liz wouldn't, didn't, didn't let that happen. She's so full of life and humor and sometimes dark and <laughs> kind of brutal humor, but that was even better in some ways. Sure, appropriate for the situation. Yeah. So, you know, that was is part of the story for me, too, is kind of coming to terms with appreciating, you know, the last 12 years and every piece of it. I never want to fucking deal with that again that's for sure but it's definitely it has given me a perspective both in terms of my relationship to Liz my relationship to Finn um, but also like I'm like I'm not as motivated anymore to um, it's not that I'm not motivated to excel or to explore um, myself myself as a teacher, um, but I'm not as motivated to um, kind of succeed or or advance myself in my career, for instance. Like it feels just less important. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know this is something that people say. They say, "Well, now I understand what you know. Life is really what's what's really valuable in life." Sure. Which is true, but but I guess where it's the most true is when you can put some kind of specifics on it. And for me specifically, that's day to day. Um, there are times when I'm, um, I kind of stop and say, "This this is amazing." Mm. This is maybe simple, but this is an amazing thing. Um, so you are truly more connected to what's happening now and less about striving for something in the future. Yeah, yeah. And to, to some people's consternation, I think. <laughs> Not like my immediate family, but um, I think about maybe some people that, that I work with Mm-hmm. Um, who maybe have other visions for who, where, what I'm doing, et cetera. Well, thanks so much for coming <laughs> in to share your your experience with us. And it's an unusual story. It's definitely a unique story. And I, I appreciate you coming in to, to talk with me about it. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I mean, one of the things that I didn't really talk about is the the kind of commitment that Liz and I both made pretty early on. I don't even think we talked about it, but we both kind of came to this commitment to talk to people about what we're going through. Mm. And of course, in the middle of it, that's harder to do. Um, But still, I always felt, you know, if someone asked me, how are you doing? I'd say, well, I'm not so great right now, you know. Mm-hmm. My wife had a chemo treatment last week, and then 
sometimes that would stop a conversation, but sometimes it would open up a conversation um, in a really good way. And, um, and, you know, and I think Liz has been the same way, being very kind of matter of fact about talking about the experience. And, and why has that been important to you? Well, I think it's helped me um, manage my own um, uh, kind of tensions around it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's one thing to voice things in your head. It's another to speak them out loud um, and to do that um, with people that you love, but also to do that with people that maybe you don't know as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I would talk to my students, not in a way that I felt was kind of self-absorbed, um, and this is more kind of after the experience. But, you know, I teach girls. Some of them are going to be experiencing breast cancer, either themselves or with their um, loved ones or friends. And sure. I almost feel an obligation to say, hey, this is an experience that I had. Mm. And, you know, this is, here are some thoughts about it. And, I would be happy to talk to you about it if it's something that you're experiencing as well. Um, and I think it's one of the reasons that Liz, you know, Liz started writing a couple years after that first um, cancer. And part of the motivation, I think, for her was to share that story. Mm-hmm. And I also think it was therapeutic and it's um, helpful to just get stuff out sure. so you can look at it and kind of see the different strands and um, make some sense of it. Uh, But talking to people about it helps do that as well. So I appreciate the opportunity to do this. Oh, thanks so much, Brian. Yeah. That's it for today's episode. We'd love to hear from you and find out why you listened and what you like about The Real Cancer Podcast please rate the show and leave a review on iTunes. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to Real Cancer on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow Real Cancer on Twitter at RealCancerPod and reach out to us at RealCancerPodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Diane McDaniel. Mm -hmm.